Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Bay Area Church of Christ. And for those uh, viewing on Facebook or on the internet at home, welcome to you as well. We're glad to have you with us this morning. It's another beautiful Sunday morning here in Mango, Florida, and we're going to have a great day of worship today. If you are watching from home, uh, please take a moment just to like and share. Uh, think of it as a way to invite your friends and neighbors to, to church with you in the morning. Uh, but we'd appreciate it if you could do that. Um, we have a few announcements this morning, but the majority of the information that you need to know and that you need to keep up to date with is going to be in that weekly email from Oloa, the Vital Concern email and the weekly email. If you're not currently getting that, uh, please reach out to the church office and to Oloa, and we can make sure we get you on that list. There are a few specific cases that we want to keep in mind this morning. Uh, our brother Gary Lambert had some complications after his surgery, was back in the hospital briefly this week. Uh, he's at home now. Please continue to be praying for his recovery. Um, George Klein had some biopsies done this week and is waiting for results. So we want to keep that brother in our prayers uh, for, for good results there and for peace of mind in that situation. We also have several members, and, and sure, certainly everyone here has somebody in their life that's been impacted by COVID-19, uh, some members of this body and, and extended family. We want to keep them in our prayers uh, and just for that situation globally. Um, and one last request is to please keep Kayla Schwind in our prayers. Uh, she was in North Carolina visiting her mom and was in a car accident. Um, she's doing okay, but she has several broken bones. Uh, she experienced a collapsed lung and several other kind of injuries, scrapes and bruises that she's dealing with. Uh, Ron is up there with her now as she's trying to kind of recover, but uh, they're in desperate need of, of our prayers for her healing and during this time. Um, and so if we could, we're going to go ahead and, and say a quick prayer uh, to, to kind of put ourselves in uh, a mindset for worship this morning, and then we've got a couple other announcements right after that and a special treat for you this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to bring us together as a family this morning and giving us this time specially dedicated to put away all of our distractions and to focus on you. What a wonderful God you are to us and how you love us beyond what we could ever deserve. Lord, we thank you for all of these things. We pray especially that you'll be with those brothers and sisters that we spoke of this morning, that you'll be with those that are hurting, uh, that are suffering in silence. Father, we pray that you will help all of us to be strengthened and renewed. We pray that you'll help us to come before you this morning with our hearts and minds open to the lessons that we're going to hear. Help us to grow in your word and to share your love with others. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. The, uh, the church, as many of you know, is uh, planning a fall festival celebration. It's going to take place on October 24th. Uh, that's going to be from 5.30 p.m. to 9.30. It's going to look a little bit different than it has in the past. Um, we're going we're gonna to have a pie-eating contest uh, with your own pies. No cross-pie contamination here. Um, there's going to be a family uh, pumpkin-carving contest. We're going to have a balloon artist and a couple other surprises, so you'll want to come out and join us. The evening will be capped off with another one of our uh, drive-in movie series. We're going to be watching Monsters University. It's going to be a fun night for the family and certainly for the kids. So uh, go ahead and check out Vital Concern or any of the private uh, Facebook pages for Bay Area for more information and for sign-up sheets. Uh, and speaking of signing up, if you're watching at home and you want to join us here uh, in the auditorium, we still have some space. Uh, we'd love to have you join us if that's something that you're comfortable with. If it's not, we'll continue and we'll keep continuing to, to be online uh, during this time. But, uh, but if you want to come and join us, be sure to go online and sign up. 
Um, there's an opportunity there. You can look at all the, uh, the things, the, the hoops to jump through to make sure that you have your masks and uh, social distancing protocols. But we'd love to have you here this morning. We ask that if you're going to be here, you sign up by Thursday prior to Sunday's worship. Um, that's all that we've got for announcements this week. Um, you guys have been hearing me talk and, and probably hearing some of our kids talk about the different things that, uh, that Miss Angie's been doing with the pajama parties with the kids from Faith Lane. Uh, each week they get together and they share in a story. Well, some familiar faces from Faith Lane got together and decided that they wanted to share a story not in their pajamas, but to share a story with the body here. And so they put together a special video that we're going to watch this morning, and I think it's going to make your morning. So we've got a video from the Faith Lane kids uh, sharing one of their favorite stories with you. Once we roll that video, we will start our song service, and we will be into our worship this morning. So, Matt, we can go ahead and roll that. Hi, friends. Our story today is called Maybe God is Like That Too, written by Jennifer Grant. In this story, a young boy wonders, what is God like and why can't I see him? And his grandmother reminds him that if you just look closely, you can see God at work everywhere. We hope you enjoy this story. And so here it is. Maybe God is like that too. I live in the city where the sidewalks and subway cars and buildings and buses are packed with people but I've never seen God before. Grandma, does God live in the city? I asked one morning at breakfast. Yes, God is here, she says. You just need to know where to look. Whenever you see love, joy, and peace, God is there, she says, stirring her tea. Wherever there's patience, kindness, and goodness, God is there too. When you see faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's God's spirit at work. On the way to school, I'm on the lookout. I see a bus full of tourists and count ten bright yellow taxis. I spy a man sweeping a student, and Grandma and I laugh when we see a tiny dog wearing a fluffy purple sweater. At school, Grandma hands me my lunch and hugs me close before she says goodbye. That's what love looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. On the swings, I pump so hard. I see over the wall into the alley. My friends shout, higher, higher, as my feet fly way up into the sky. That's what joy looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. Outside, car horns blast and sirens scream, but my classroom is quiet and calm. That's what peace looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. I try to tie my sheets, but the lace is tangled around my fingers. My teacher sits down beside me and shows me how to tie them. That's what patience looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. On the way home, I see Dorgan, wearing a red cape and a hat with a shiny brim. He's holding the door for a man using a wheelchair. The man moves very slowly, and the doorman chats with him and smiles. That's what kindness looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. 
While I'm setting the table for dinner, there's a knock at the door. It's our neighbor from downstairs bringing us a loaf of bread. It's golden brown and wrapped in a thin white towel. That's what goodness looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. After dinner, I work on my homework. While Grandma stands at the kitchen sink washing dishes and humming to herself, just like she does every single night. That's what faithfulness looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. At bedtime, Grandma sits at the edge of my bed singing me a lullaby and stroking my head. She tucks my blankets up close and around me. That's what gentleness looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. I lie in bed, watching the curtain flutter. I want to talk about that dog we saw today and how high I can swing. But Grandma says that once I'm tucked in, I have to stay in bed until morning. But I close my eyes and try to fall asleep. That's what self-control looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. I saw God over and over again today whenever I saw love, joy, and peace. And wherever there is patience, kindness, and goodness. When I saw faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I saw God's Spirit at work. I don't see God the way I see my friends, or the streetlights, or the river, but I see signs of God's Spirit all around me, right here in the city. I know what God is like. Maybe I can be like that too. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22-23. The end. All right, the table is set for you to count your blessings. Um, that's a great video. Those of you who are involved in uh, our, our Zoom groups and our uh, discussion groups know that we, we start off a lot of times by counting our blessings and being thankful, thinking about the specific things that we're thankful for. It's a great way to start lots of things and certainly uh, as we come to worship now. Uh, let's sing, what, count your blessings. When upon life's pillows you are tempest-tossed When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost Count your many blessings, name them one by one And it will surprise you what the Lord has done Count your many blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God has done Seem heavy, you are to bear. Count 
count your many blessings and with every dove fly. And you will be singing as the days go by. Count your many blessings, name them, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your many blessings, name them, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath Hosanna, you're my king. I worship and I sing. I lift your holy name. song from our uh, cantata last year that we've sung online a couple of times. I think this is the first time that we've done it here together and I've been looking forward to this. Rescue Me. Rescue Me, 
rescue me. Rise up, Lord, and bring them down. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Rescue me. after we sing this next song when morning comes. Bye. Bye. 
find it better by and by. Temptations in snares often take us unawares, and our hearts are made to bleed for some thoughtless word or deed. And we wonder why the test, when we try to do our best, we will understand it better by and by. Sing it by and by. Oh, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathering home, and we will tell the story of how we've overcome. We will understand it better by and Good morning. You can all hear me, can't you? Yeah. Hey, good to have you with us this morning. If you are joining us online, good to have you with us this morning as well. I'm kind of watching Matt as we're getting started here to make sure that the sound is right for you, me, and good. Got a thumbs up for everybody. So, great. Um, I mentioned in my uh, Bible class on Wednesday, movies that make me cry... I've got to now add, maybe God is like that, uh, read by our Faith Lane kids. Angie, thanks so much for doing that, and all you parents and kids out there that, uh, that made that uh, video. Uh, I appreciate it. Can you believe that it is already the middle of October? You know, in so many ways, this year is like flying by, and then in other ways, of course, it's like the last six months have lasted six years, right? I keep hearing people say, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. As if January 1st is going to be some magical date that gets reset and everything goes back to normal. We miss normal, don't we? This year has not been normal. And I have a sense that 2020 is going to serve, at least in our lifetime, as kind of a benchmark for things to be as bad as they could be. You know, for the rest of our lives, we're going to say, well, it could be worse. It could be 2020. You know, this is bad, but it's not quite as bad. Oh, I remember the year 2020. I think we're going to look back on this year as being a very difficult year. By anyone's standards, this has been a tough year. I found some, some memes that maybe describe just how difficult 2020 has been a little bit better than I can. Um, here you go. Here's a Google rating for the year 2020. Very bad. Would not recommend. And then there's this representation of every second this year. But wait, there's more. <laughs> when we think it's gotten as bad as it could be, there's more. Uh, for all of you parents out there that are trying to teach your kids virtually, masks, social distancing, homeschooling, there you go. That's every parent right now that is trying to do school with their kids. Uh, and for all you kids who are trying to learn in a very difficult environment, this is it, right? I mean, it's pretty tough to get motivated. 
in a year like this? Does, does anybody really even care? Well, I don't know. And, and not just these kids. What about like years from now when, when kids have to study about the year 2020? It's going to be tough. It's going to be traumatic. And then this one pretty well sums up the year. Uh, where were we? Oh, yes. The pit of despair. Yeah. <laughs> But of all the memes that I found talking about the year 2020, I think this last one is my favorite. Uh, me being prepared for 2020, and then that. You know, none of us are as immune as we think we are, right? None of us are as prepared as we want to be. None of us are as bulletproof as we might have imagined ourselves natural disasters, global tension, civil unrest, political chaos, the pandemic, you know, the economy, killer hornets, toilet paper shortage. I mean, this has been a tough year. And I know I'm kind of making light of it, but I'm only doing that because I don't know what else to do. In all seriousness, this year has been a year that has been very stressful. It's been frightening. And quite honestly, it's been a little bit exhausting. And we start to wonder, is there something better? Can we find something bigger? Can we find something that's going to overcome and outweigh all the crummy stuff that's piling up on us? Can we find a reason to be encouraged? Can we really find a reason to smile? And the short answer is, absolutely. The 30-minute answer is, let me give you a couple suggestions. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We are going to start a sermon series this morning through the book of Philippians. It's about two-thirds of the way, three-quarters of the way through your New Testament. It's kind of a hard book to find because it's a short book. There's only four chapters in the book of Philippians. You know, we just came out of a series in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It had four chapters as well, and now we're jumping right into this New Testament series in the book of Philippians, also a four-chapter book. Um, but Philippians has a lot to say about uh, being an overcomer. It has a lot to say about finding joy in the middle of maybe some hardship. So we're going to spend some weeks in the book of Philippians, and I probably need to start with a little bit of context for the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. If you know your Bible well enough, and a lot of you do, you'll remember back in Acts chapter 16, Paul was in prison. And he's in prison with a friend named Silas, and uh, an earthquake happens. God causes an earthquake. The doors are uh, open. The chains fall off. There's a jailer there who's afraid that all of the inmates are going to escape. He's ready to take his own life. Paul says, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer takes them to his home. He washes their wounds. We know that jailer as the Philippian jailer. Because all of that in Acts chapter 16 happened in the town of Philippi. So Paul has some history with the people in Philippi. That took place, Paul being imprisoned there, about 50, 52 AD. By the time Paul gets ready to write this letter, about 10 years have gone by. It's 
60, 61, 62 AD. Uh, Paul is in Rome, and once again, Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, Paul is, is not where he wants to be. In fact, Paul's going to write four letters. We call them the prison epistles while he's in Rome. Uh, he's not in a great place. As he sits down and, and, and dips his quill in ink and begins this letter that we know of as the book of Philippians. So we're going to look through this book in the next couple of weeks. Um, we won't do what we did in our last series. We won't read word for word through the entire passage and through the entire letter. Instead, we're going to pick out some things as we go along and see if we can gather some encouragement. See if Paul can convince us, his readers, to be able to see and find and experience the same kind of joy that he talks about in this letter. And notice how Paul begins his letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now let's stop right there. Because usually we're pretty quick to pass over you know, the, the introduction. But Paul begins this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. Again, context. Where is Paul? He's in prison. Paul has two years worth of reasons to be angry. And yet, as he begins this letter to his friends, his first words are, I thank God. Would you be able to begin a letter from prison to your closest friends by saying, I thank God? Because I'm not sure I would. I'm afraid my letter might start, this isn't fair. <laughs> my letter would start, I am innocent. Prison really stinks. That's how I'd start the letter. That's not how Paul starts his letter. Paul starts his letter by saying, I thank God. And then he goes on to say this. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul says, I'm just sitting here in prison, spending time in prayer, thinking of you, and filled with joy. Again, I'm not sure I would be able to write that. Because I'm not sure I would be able to, to feel that. Could I do that? But Paul goes on, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody else see any irony in that statement that Paul just makes? Because it seems like Paul is the one who's had all of his dreams and all of his plans. It's Paul's agenda that's sort of been set aside. He's not doing what he wants to be doing. He's not where he wants to be. He's in prison. But right off the bat, Paul tells these people, all your dreams are going to come true. God is going to complete his work in you. Hang in there. And the reason why Paul is able to make that statement with so much confidence is because Paul knew something these people didn't know. And I think Paul knew something that sometimes we forget. Now, I've mentioned this before. For most people, our happiness is contingent on our happenings. You know, if the right things happen around me, then I will be happy. 
If people treat me the right way, then I'm going to be happy. If circumstances line up like I hope they do, then, then I'm going to experience happiness. But Paul doesn't use the word happiness in the book of Philippians. Paul uses the word joy. I mean, I'm not happy, you know, we're not happy when our children hurt. We're not happy when, um, when bad things happen to people that we love. We're not happy when the doctor gives us some bad news. But Paul is saying you can find joy in any circumstance. Because happiness is based on happenings. But joy is based on something very different. Happiness is kind of external. You know, when the weather's good, I'm good. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. I'm happy. It's kind of an external thing. Joy is a little bit more internal. Now, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> I said that Paul might not be the right guy to be writing this letter. Actually, Paul is the perfect guy to be writing this letter, to be talking about joy in the face of hardship. Because for Paul, it's not some theoretical, abstract uh, idea that he's sharing. It's Paul's reality. Paul lived it. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul uh, does what he does so often. He, he starts making lists. And one of his lists involves a list of really bad days that Paul has experienced. And I don't know if, you know, I guess we all could come up with a list of bad days that we've had. I don't know if you keep lists or not. Um, I don't know if you would list the bad days that you've had and why they were bad. Paul did. I guarantee that your list of bad days is not going to come close to comparing to Paul's list of bad days. Notice what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Okay, it's a long passage there, but let's just stop for a second. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Because if you're like me, when I get to one of Paul's lists, I have this tendency to kind of barrel through it. Because Paul just gets writing, and you know, he, he gets writing, and, and he, he makes these lists pretty quickly. And it's pretty easy to pass over some of the details that Paul's sharing here. But he starts off by saying, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Paul says, Five times I was beaten with 39 lashes from people who are trained to inflict pain. That's 195 times Paul was beat with a, a whip. Now, Jesus received this punishment once right before the cross. It almost killed him. Could you imagine what Paul's back looked like? Could you imagine Paul being chained to that post for like the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time, and thinking to himself, man, this is going to hurt. Five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. We know about that. They stoned him. They thought, okay, he's dead. Let's leave. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. We know about one of his shipwrecks. Apparently, there were two others that are not recorded in Scripture. I spent a day, a night and a day in the open sea. Again, we don't know this story, but Paul says, I spent 36 hours in the Mediterranean. I didn't know if I was going to live or die. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, 
in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. And I've got a feeling if Paul could think of anywhere else that he'd been, he would have added that to the list as well. Verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Wow. That's a list, right? I mean, like I said, we all have bad days. I haven't had a bad day like that. And Paul had a lot of them. Now, I remember back when, um, uh, when Paul first is introduced to Jesus, and a guy named Ananias comes, and he talks to Paul, who then was Saul, about Jesus. And you remember God told Ananias, I'm going to show this guy just how much he's going to have to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I wonder if Ananias, or Paul for that matter, had any thought, any, he could possibly imagine what God had in mind. Now, if Paul's joyfulness, if his happiness was contingent on external circumstances, Paul would have been the most miserable guy on the face of the earth. But Paul goes on in that same book and he says, but I don't lose heart. All these things have happened to me. I've had some bad days, but I don't lose heart. Again, I don't know if we could say that. I don't know if we even say that in our own not-so-bad days. I mean, gas goes up 10 cents a gallon. It ruins our week, right? Look at social media. We complain about everything. But Paul says, don't lose heart. In fact, he says, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, wait a minute. Let's pump the brakes right there again, Paul. Our light and momentary troubles. We're not going to lose heart because, we, yeah, we have some setbacks. We have some light and momentary troubles. Whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, isolated, alienated, imprisoned. Personally, I would not call that light. Paul says it is when you see the bigger picture. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul said, I'm going to fix my eyes not on what I see, not on all this stuff that's happened around me. I'm not going to fix my eyes on what I see. I'm going to fix my eyes on what's going on around me that I can't see. Because there's other things going on, but I can't see it. And I'm not going to focus on what's temporary. I'm going to focus on what is eternal. Paul knows happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on... On Jesus. Joy is a choice. And I'm going to focus on the seen, not the unseen. And I'm going to focus on the eternal and not the temporary. It's a choice. 
Now, happiness is a matter of chance. Joy is a matter of choice. Now, I think back to the Old Testament. Moses brings the children of Israel to the promised land. Um, Moses isn't going to enter the promised land. But right before Moses dies, he gets the Israelites together to give, him one, give them uh, one last uh, piece of advice. And it's in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, right at the end of that book. Chapter 30, this is Moses speaking to the people. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Moses tells the people, you have a choice. You can choose life, you can choose death. You can choose blessings, you can choose curses. And then this 120-year-old guy gives one last piece of just tremendous guidance. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. Moses says, love God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. And then don't miss Moses' next statement. It's so great. For the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. Paul's going to borrow that phrase, by the way, later on in the book of Colossians. Remember, he says, when Christ who is your life appears, you too will appear with him in glory. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses was saying the same thing that Paul is trying to get us to understand. Choose life. Choose blessing. Choose the Lord. Choose joy. It's a choice. Let's go back to the book of Philippians as we kind of start to wrap this thing up. Uh, by the way, Paul is going to talk about joy a lot in this book. I, I, uh, you saw that um, this series is sort of entitled Things That Cannot Be Quarantined. There's some things that can't be set aside. There's some things that, that, that can't be uh, locked in. But really, this is, a, this is a book about joy. Paul's going to use the word joy or rejoice in some form 16 times in this little short book. And in the very first chapter, Paul actually has a prayer for those Christians in the city of Philippi. Verse 9, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then look at this. This is great. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Let me tell you something this morning. God has a life envisioned for you better than the life you're living right now. And I don't know what life you're living right now. Some of you watching online, I don't know who you are. But I'm going to say this, that God has a story that is better than the story you're living right now. And the reason I say that with such confidence is, Paul says, if we grow in love, if we grow in understanding, then we're going to be able to discern what's best. It's a process. We never arrive. It's a maturity thing. If we grow in love, if we grow in understanding, we're going to be able to discern what's best. Our life is going to get better. Another version says we're going to be able to understand what really matters. And again, doesn't that sound great? For me, a preacher, to stand up here and say, hey, you just choose joy. Just choose joy. 
which is kind of what Paul is saying. But yeah, easier said than done, right? Let me quickly share with you just two really simple um, strategies, but I think they're important. And I think it's a couple of things that we can take with us this week and, and make a difference in our, our week. And the first is this. We've got to get past the distraction of the bad things that have happened to us. We've just somehow got to get past the distraction of all the bad things that have happened to us. And if you're listening to me this morning anywhere, you've had bad things happen to you. I've had bad things happen to me. And when something bad happens to us, when things don't go our way, when we're disappointed, when people treat us like we don't want to be treated, when some, we get some news that we don't want to hear, usually our response is, first we obsess over it, but usually our response is we ask that little three-letter question of why? Why? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen now? Why? It's a question that will drive you crazy. And Paul says it's a distraction. Here's what I think I have discovered. <laughs> and I'm hedging on this because intellectually I'm going to agree with myself, but I'm just going to be honest enough to tell you that I really struggle with it. But here's what I think I have discovered. When something doesn't go my way, the right question to ask is not why. The right question to be asking is instead that four-letter question of what? God, what are you trying to teach me here? God, what are you trying to show me? What are you preparing me for? Because I don't know why. I'm not sure that there really is a great answer to why sometimes. A lot of times it just is what it is. But notice what Paul says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wow. Paul says something good is going to come out of all this. Right now, think about the most difficult thing you're dealing with. Think about the most frustrating thing that you're dealing with. Think about the hardest thing that's going on in your life right now. The most disappointing thing. Our first reaction is, I don't understand why God would do this. I don't understand why God would allow this to happen to me. Maybe we should be asking, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What are you preparing me for? And I am not suggesting that God causes bad things to happen. But what I am promising is that God can work in any situation. And God's will and God can be glorified in every situation. Now, what are you preparing us for? I heard a story about a, an African king who had a very trusted servant. Very fond of this servant. The, the servant was a very upbeat kind of guy. And the servant had a habit of always saying, this is good. No matter what happened, the servant would say, this is good. One day the king and his servant are out hunting. The servant loads the rifle for his king. He hands it to him. There's a misfire. The king's thumb is blown off. And the king is enraged. He's upset at his servant for, for misloading his gun. He demands the servant be thrown into prison. And he is. 
A year later, the king is out uh, hunting again, and he is captured by a tribe of cannibals. And they're getting ready to eat the king when they notice that he only has uh, four fingers on one hand. And their superstition won't allow them to eat anything that's not whole, so they set the king free. And he's overjoyed. And he goes back into the prison, and he, he releases his servant. And he said, I'm so sorry that I threw you in prison over this thing. And the prisoner said, uh, the servant said, no, this is good. This is good. How can you say this is good? You've spent a year in prison. It's been so unfair. No, this is good. How is this good? Because if I'd have been with you, we'd both be with the cannibals. <laughs> it's okay to go, oh. But my point is, sometimes it's not real obvious. But there is capacity for good in every situation. And that's what Paul is saying here. Something good's going to come out of this. It's kind of Paul's Romans 8 moment, right? All things work together for good to those who love God and call according to His purpose. Paul wants us to know, if we get bogged down in the why of yesterday, we're never going to be able to envision the what of tomorrow. Again, easier said than done. Not only do we need to get past the distraction of the bad things that have happened, but we also need to look ahead for the opportunities that God's going to place before us. Look again at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul says, I've had opportunities I never would have had. And people here, you know, people here that are watching me, they know why I'm here. They know who I'm talking about. They've heard the story of Jesus. In fact, people that aren't here, I think my situation has emboldened them to talk about Jesus. And again, think where Paul is. He's in prison. He's not doing what he wants to be doing. He's not where he wants to be. He wants to be out. You know, he, he's, a, he's a missionary. He's a traveler. He's a goer. Get me out of here. Let me travel. Let me preach. Let me teach. But he can't travel freely. He can't do what he wants to do. He's got a lot of time on his hands. So what does he do? He writes. He writes letters. Had Paul not been in prison, there's a chance we might never have the book that we know of as Philippians. Had Paul been where he wanted to be, we might not have the book of Colossians. If Paul had been calling the shots, we may never have read the book of Philemon. Never have heard of the book of Ephesians. Paul took advantage of the opportunities that God placed before him. And then in verse 18, Paul says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. I'm just going to continue to rejoice. And then he goes into that famous section of Scripture, uh, Philippians 1, 21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, live or die, I win. What does it matter? Live or die, I win. 
I win because Jesus has already won. It's an old Mel Gibson movie. Um, Mel Gibson is playing a, a cop, and he's searching for his kidnapped daughter. And there's a scene where he confronts this guy, I think it's a lawyer, in a car. And he pulls the car door open, and, and he reaches in, and he grabs this guy, and he's demanding answers. And the guy looks at him and says, Who do you think you are? And Mel Gibson says, I'm the guy with nothing to lose. It's a great line. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm the guy with everything to gain. I can't lose. I win. If I'm here, good. I'm going to talk about Jesus. If I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus. I win. And that, for Paul, is the reason for real, genuine joy. And so for the rest of this book, he's going to talk about real, genuine joy. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to listen in as Paul talks about real, genuine joy. I'm looking forward to our walk through the book of Philippians. I think it's going to be encouraging. It's a timeless book, and I also think it is incredibly timely in the year for 2020. So be planning on that. Hey, listen, if you're joining us online this morning, uh, maybe there's something going on in your life, and you're in the middle of a hard situation, a, a tough season. Maybe something that you've heard this morning and it made you realize, you know, I, I need to get serious about my relationship because I need joy in my life. Um, if we as a church can help you in any way, uh, go to the website, Bay Area Church of Christ website, or it should be on a screen there for you to see. Uh, a link that you can click onto and someone will pray for you. Someone will pray with you if you prefer. Have some options there if you'd like someone to get in touch with you. I mean, we are here to help each other. And we're here to help each other fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus. So if we can help you in that way, I'm going to ask you to take advantage of that. And for those of us that are, that are here together uh, physically, at the end of services, there'll be an announcement uh, about an opportunity to, to meet with some of the elders if you'd like to take advantage of that. But for this morning, let's go ahead and close in a prayer. Father, in every circumstance, may we be reminded that you are still in control and that Jesus is still king. And may we find true joy in knowing that we're children of yours and Joy in knowing that your will and our lives are part of a story that's so much bigger, so much better than we could possibly understand. Thank you, Lord, for the promise and, and for your assurance of that victory in Jesus. So we'll live joyful lives, secure in the knowledge and, and safe in your arms. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Dave's going to come and lead us in a song as we get ready to share communion together. Thank you, Tim. You were despised, you were rejected, Lord, those who passed by, even averted their gaze from the side. 
Such was the suffering you bore for us. Led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, you spoke not a word, but chose to be silent, though you did no wrong, nor was deceitfulness found in you. Yet by your wounds our salvation has come, Yet by your suffering our freedom is won. For God has highly exalted your name. He has enthroned you on high. Jesus, the name above all names. God has highly exalted your name. Such was the suffering you bore for us. Led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, you spoke not a word, but chose to be silent, though you did no wrong, nor was deceitfulness found in you. Yet by your wounds our salvation Yet by your suffering our freedom is won. For God has highly exalted your name. He has enthroned you on high. Jesus, the name above all names. God has highly exalted your name. Good morning, church. Thank you, Tim, for the message. So in preparation for communion, I'd like to share a thought. The last couple of days, I've been working on a home project. Uh, I've been building picture frames out of wood. And uh, yesterday, I spent most of, the, most of the day in the garage painting. It's the, uh, the part I, uh, I dislike the, the most. And, uh, but as I'm painting, I'm also listening to the radio. And uh, the radio host was talking about how their prayer line has gone up in volume by 50%. And uh, how people are calling in asking for prayers 
and wanting that communication with God. And this got me thinking, as I'm there painting, um, about the state of our country. And very similar to what Tim was saying, there's a lot of anxiety in people right now over many things. And sometimes as Christians, we're taken captive by that same anxiety and feeling of hopelessness. And I personally felt disillusioned by some of the things I've seen. I'm sure all of us ha uh, have. Um, and it's in these moments that we need to remind each other who sits on the throne. I'd like to read from uh, Revelations chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. This is a glimpse of worship in heaven. It reads, In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of, this le of these living, living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was, had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor, and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. This is a very satisfying passage for me, especially in times like today, when it feels like everything is kind of in limbo, maybe a little chaotic. As Christians, we rest assured that God has power over everything and that he's still in control. At this time, let's remember and give thanks for Jesus, whom God sent. As Matthew 6.33 states, he is the bread of God, which came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we're so grateful, Lord, for giving us this day, for this opportunity to come together as a family, whether we're here in this church building or whether we're at home. I pray, Lord, that our hearts, our minds are focused on you. Thank you for your son who gave himself as a sacrifice for us. We take this bread, we take this wine, which represents his body and his blood. We do this in remembrance of him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Church, at this time we're going to pray for the offering, but just before that, I'd like to share a passage from Isaiah chapter 58, continuing with the theme of worship. In this chapter, well, in the book entirely, kind of, but uh, specifically this chapter, Isaiah is speaking to the um, people of Judith, reminding them what is the difference between false and true worship. Um, I'd like to read uh, a couple of the verses, um, beginning with uh, verse 5. Again, he's telling them there's a difference. You humble yourselves by going through the motion of penance, bowing your head like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Further on, verse 10, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noonday. Church, go out there and be light. Go out there and give. Go out there and do. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we're grateful, Lord, because even though we have challenges around us, we also recognize that we are a very blessed people, that you bring us joy, that you are the bread of life, and we know the type of worshiper you want. I pray, Lord, that uh, at this time, uh, just keep our minds focused on you, wanting to give, wanting to do for others. The offering that uh, we will all give, I just pray that uh, you bless it, that may further your kingdom. In the name of your son we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to have one last song, then somebody will come and uh, dismiss us here. I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, Matt's assured me that those of you on this side, the back of your heads won't be blocking the camera. Uh, let's sing, I'll fly away. Sometime morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away, fly away, fly away I'll fly away, fly away, oh glory I'll fly away, fly away When I die, hallelujah, my my I'll fly away, fly away, fly away When the shadows of the I'll fly away, fly away.